Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's confession time. Never good when the preacher says that. How many of you guys overslept this morning? Give me a, go ahead, be honest. Uh, we got some truthful people. Uh, some are, are raising their hand at home because they're watching online. I thought about doing that this morning. My alarm uh, went off and I hit snooze like the rest of you did. And then I hit snooze again. And I knew the time that I really needed to be up. And for whatever reason, when that time came and then went, I did not hear the alarm. I thought, no problem. We do church online at East Brainerd. <laughs> and then I thought, wait a minute, I can't do that. <laughs> I've got to show up. I've got to do something. Uh, today has been complicated, which really works well because we're beginning a new series here called Simple. And today has been anything but simple, trying to get some things finished up this morning, get ready and get here, and then the printer wasn't working correctly, and I had promised my wife that she could use some dominoes that I had in my office uh, for a class that she's going to be doing for our preschoolers a little later on, and then we get to the office, and I remember, oh yeah, I used those dominoes in a sermon illustration like five years ago. So we didn't have those, and so then we were scrambling around trying to find that, and today has been anything but simple. Now, if you feel my pain, and if you understand what that's like, uh, then you're also, I think, going to understand that there are things in life that we think should be simple, but end up being pretty difficult and complicated. Like fourth grade math. Can I get an oh yeah from people out there? And this isn't from the fourth graders. They're already gone to kids' praise, right? This is from the moms and dads. I love this question. Write a way to make a 10 to solve 8 plus 9. Then there are three blanks that are given. Now I think I know what this is asking the child to do, but one father didn't, so he wrote on this paper. I don't even know what this is asking him to do. And we feel that pain, right? It's like, why can't we just add 8 plus 9 and get 17? I don't know. But for some reason, it's been decided that you need three numbers now to equal 17 when you add 8 plus 9. It's complicated. Kind of like IKEA furniture. Anybody tried to put together IKEA furniture with the instructions that come? Uh, yeah, I hear some of you going, oh yeah, right? Uh, they've even made instructions for aliens. That's what this is, actually, right here. If you were an alien and came to put together furniture, this is what you could use to put that together. I don't know how putting together something, it can be so difficult, but IKEA has figured out a way to do it. If they can make it difficult for you, they are, and they're going to give you the instructions that give you no clue as to what to do next. It should be simple. Kind of like calling customer service. Anybody done that this week? For questions about your account, press 1. For technical support, press 2. To send a mild electronic shot to our customer service manager, press 3. Isn't that what you want to do? Right after you yell into the phone, I want to talk to a real person. I want to talk to someone who is breathing. Someone who is like, like me and annoyed and frustrated. And guess what? When you finally get the real person, you get your wish. Yeah, they are. They're just like you. They're annoyed and they are frustrated. Something that should be simple. Just calling for some help for IKEA furniture, for math. I don't know. It should be easy, but it's not. Kind of like trying to figure out how to come into Chattanooga from Atlanta. 
Now, you guys remember how this used to be done, right? Kind of like fourth grade math. There was a way it used to be done. I mean, if you wanted to go to, to Knoxville, you were in the right-hand lane because your car was going to bear to the right and head toward Knoxville, correct? Or if you were going to Chattanooga, you were in the left because your car was going to bear to the left and go to Chattanooga. But that was too simple. No, now we need to complicate it. So now we switch everything around. Anybody here end up going to Knoxville instead of Chattanooga after they made the switch? See, some of the same people that got up late today are the same ones who, uh, who had trouble. That's right. But yeah, it, it should be simple. Why do we have to make things so complicated? Kind of like this next one. Anybody have difficulty with Christianity? Has anyone found it to be complex? Confusing? Have we found Christianity to sometimes be puzzling and, and opaque, just, just not able to clearly see what it is that God is asking or what God is wanting? And then maybe you've picked up a book or maybe you've listened to someone speak about the subject of following Jesus and serving God. And, and they use words like simple. And you think back about your journey. You're like, well, it's been anything but simple. Simple is not the word that I would use to describe the journey with God. And yet simple, I think simple is what God intended. I really do. Do you know that the religious leaders in Jesus' day had developed a complicated religious system of 613 laws? I know, you thought there were only 10, right? <laughs> no, there were, not, there were not just 10. Now, there were 10 biggies, right? But there were also, well, there were 603 others that went along. They acknowledged that there were 613 commands in the Pentateuch, and that's Genesis through Deuteronomy. And they chose that number because 613, well, that was how many letters separated or were separated in the text that contained the Ten Commandments. So if you, you count through those letters in the Ten Commandments in that original language, you get 613. And so they went looking and found 613 commands. And then they divided that list up into affirmative commands, the do this commands, and then the negative commands, the don't do this commands. Now there were 248 affirmative commands. 248 things that you had to remember each day to do. And then, on the other side, there were 365 negative commands. That's good, one for each day of the year, right? That you could just remember, these are things I am not supposed to be doing. And then the religious leaders would spend their days debating about these particular divisions. They would decide if these were actually binding commands or non-binding commands. And they made lists, and then they argued about these particular lists. And they ranked the commands within each division. They also spent their time trying to decide how an individual could keep from breaking the commands. Take one of the ten that maybe you've heard before. This was given to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now the next verse commanded the people to do no work on the Sabbath day. But think about this. Who defines what is work? Who defines what is work? Who defines what is rest? What if rest to one person is work to another? What if work to one person is rest to another? And what does it mean to make the day holy? How do you know if you've kept something holy? How do you know if you hadn't? 
Someone has to decide these things. Someone has to decide what it means to observe the Sabbath and not do any work and to keep it holy and decide they did. There were 39 categories of work that were not allowed on the Sabbath. 39. Among them, carrying. Anybody carry their Bible in today? Burning. Writing. Erasing. Tearing. Nodding. Untying. All of these things were in a group of lists that said you cannot do these on the Sabbath. And by the way, if you were looking to go somewhere, there was a Sabbath day's journey that was just over one kilometer. And that's as far as you can go. And depending on which rabbi that you talked to and which rabbi you followed and who was teaching in your local synagogue, there could be a different interpretation on all of those 613 different rules. That's just how it worked. Every rabbi had a different set of rules and interpretation of the rules and it forbade or it permitted these different things. Here's the thing. A rabbi's set of rules and list, which was really just the rabbi's interpretation on how to live out the Torah commands, was called the rabbi's yoke. That was his teachings. And when you followed the rabbi, you were essentially following that rabbi's yoke. Most rabbis, well, they taught the yoke of a well-respected rabbi who came before them because the rabbi had been a disciple before they were the teacher. And so they taught what they heard their teacher teach. And then they passed that along from disciple to disciple. So if you visited a synagogue and the local rabbi was going to get up and speak, then you might hear that this rabbi teaches in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. And And if you were familiar with the yoke of Rabbi so-and-so, you would already know what this particular rabbi was going to say on this particular morning. And so you could just kind of sit there and snooze if you wanted to because, well, you knew exactly what was going to be talked about. But every once in a while, every once in a while, a rabbi would come along who would teach a new yoke. A rabbi would come along who would have a new way of interpreting scripture. It was rare, and when it happened, it was extraordinary. So when Jesus came into this cultural and religious setting, saying things like, you've heard it said, but now I tell you, he was announcing himself as a rabbi with a new yoke. Imagine a rabbi that was claiming that he had a new way to understand Scripture, a way that was closer to God than what other rabbis were teaching during that time. He must be yoking. And that's how I find out who is paying attention during the sermon. All right. Speaking of listening, why don't you listen now to Jesus' invitation recorded in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my, say it with me, yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls, for my, say it, yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invited his listeners, listeners who were burdened down by legalistic interpretations and requirements of a religious system that that was never intended to truly bring about perfection. He invited these individuals to come and consider the yoke, his teaching. 
He said, come and learn from me. And the result will be you will find rest. You can find rest, not work. For Jesus said his yoke was easy. Now that's an interesting word right there. Actually, our English language does not have a good adjective to describe the original word that, that was used there in the Greek text. It's a word that means at the same time both kind and useful. Okay, so something is kind and useful. It is kind usefully. It is use kind. I don't know. It is kind and useful at the same time. And we just don't have a word for that. It's a word that means that Something is not difficult. It's not harsh. It's, well, it's simple. It's the opposite of what the people had been used to. It was different than being a heavy burden. It was easy to bear. There was a gentleness to it. There was a thoughtfulness about it. Instead of carrying a heavy burden, his message was just come and, come and listen and, and have a light weight to carry around with you. Get rid of all those heavy weights that the other teachers are giving you, and you come and take on something that is much lighter. And that's what I want us to do this summer. This summer, I simply want us to learn from Jesus what he says it means to serve God. Now, doing so is going to require that we walk away from some of the yokes that we have been handed through the past. I mean, we've listened to other well-meaning modern-day rabbis talk about all the different things that God requires. And let's just be honest, simple is not necessarily a word that we would use to describe what it is that oftentimes we hear. Complex and complicated and confusing. Those seem words that are more appropriate. Believe this way. Worship like that. Do this, but don't do that. I want to assert to you this morning that serving God is a lot more simple than maybe we have been led to believe. One of the earliest sages of the Jewish collection of oral interpretations, that that was called the Mishnah, one of the earliest sages of that collection of, of writing said to disciples, cover yourself with the dust of your rabbi's feet. I like that picture, where you're following so close to your teacher that as he walks the streets, the dust comes up and gets upon you. That's what we're going to do. We're going to follow our teacher Jesus and see what we can learn. Now, you might be surprised where he's going to take us this morning. It ain't the church, all right? Just going to tell you up front. Because the Gospel of John would tell us that after Jesus called his first disciples, the first place that they followed him to was a party. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, I got everybody's attention under the age of 30. They're like, yes, that's my kind of teacher right there. Party. That sounds great. Listen to what it says, John chapter 2. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, don't, don't just rush over this. Jesus and his young students, all under the age of 30, had been invited to this wedding celebration. The bride and groom and their families, they wanted Jesus and his students to come and to celebrate with them. Wanted them to be there. And get this, Jesus went. He RSVP'd, he accepted the invitation. He said, hey, we're going to the party. In fact, apparently Jesus went to a lot of parties. So much so that 
It led to the accusation being made against him that he was a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. You know how he got that? He partied. He went to parties. You can't escape it. As we're walking in his dust right now, it's the first place that he leads us. You know, religious people have a reputation of being a joyless group. But you cannot follow Jesus without going to a few parties and throwing some parties of your own. And if that bothers you this morning, you're not alone. It bothered the religious leaders and teachers who observed where Jesus and his disciples went. This new rabbi with this new yoke, he wasn't taking his religious teaching seriously enough. He, unlike other Pharisees, were not fasting enough. He was not projecting the right image. He was always breaking the rules that the other rabbis had created in order to protect God's law. And not only did he attend parties, he kept the party going. Back to John's gospel. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now this was a multi-day event. It was a multi-day event that was as much for those who attended as it was for those who were being celebrated. Now, in some ways, in our culture now, some of our wedding events are starting to kind of turn back to that in that the weddings themselves are more for the people that come than for the couple, right? Have you been to a wedding recently? It probably hasn't been in a building like this. No, there are special venues, right? And there are destination weddings. And there's all this money that is paid out, not necessarily for the bride and groom, but for you, their buds, for their friends, and there's a meal, and there's a party, and everybody's having this great time, and this is great celebration. Now, if you want to kind of get an idea of what was taking place during Jesus' time, just take that Saturday night wedding and keep it going for a week. Keep it going. That is what the plan was during Jesus' day. But chalk it up to poor planning or overindulgence. The moment had come, and the wine was gone. It's kind of like running out of turkey at Thanksgiving. It's, it's not having the ham at Christmas. You run out of it before everyone has even gotten their fill. And the wine is gone. The servants are in a panic. And the host family is trying to decide the best way to make apologies to all their guests. There's embarrassment and fear and shame. And it begins to overtake what was supposed to be a very happy and celebratory event. And so here comes Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus who knew something about embarrassment, who knew something about fear and shame. And when she learned of the predicament, she went and told her son. Now, can you imagine Mary and Jesus off to the side of the wedding, speaking in hushed tones? Why are you involving me? It's not my concern. I know, Mom, but it's not my time. Jesus is talking about the greater mission, but Mary is focused on the present need. And knowing that whatever Jesus decides to do will be the right thing, she goes to the wedding servants and says, do whatever he tells you. So Jesus told the servants, fill up those jars with water. And we're told that when the jars had been filled, he said, now go and dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions, and when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that had been turned into wine, not knowing where it had come, come from, even though the servants, they knew exactly where it had come from, he called the bridegroom over. 
And he said, a host usually serves the best wine first, and then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the more expensive stuff. But you have kept the best until now. All of a sudden, the celebration got turned up. Another level. Here we go. The master of the ceremonies was happy. The servants were in shock. They started singing, turn down for what? The kingdom. Man, this is awesome. The bridegroom was praised. The host family was relieved in the wedding Feast was saved. And we're told in God's gospel for the first time, Jesus revealed that he was God. And he did so in such an obscure way. Because if it had been up to us, Jesus would have done something different, right? I mean, he would have shown his glory by preaching a powerful sermon or, or healing a leper or maybe raising someone from the dead. We would expect him to come casting out demons and declaring his power over Satan, but just turn water into wine, a miracle for sure, but a miracle that was just so simple. Are we allowed to say that about a miracle? It was just ordinary. It was just plain. And we don't get it. And so we debate and we dissect. We say, surely it wasn't real wine. It was. And we don't know what to do with a Jesus who reveals himself to be the God that keeps the party going. His first miracle was saving a family from looking like poor host. And he ensured that the wedding guests would be talking for days about the hospitality that they had been shown. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn? Well, well let me ask this. What did Peter, Andrew, John, Philip, and Nathaniel learn that day? I mean, they were the ones that followed their rabbi with this new yoke into this celebration. They were the ones that watched what took place. What, what was the yoke that he shared with them? Could it be something as simple as Jesus, and therefore God, is kind? He did something good that was needed in the moment. And so how kind are you? What's your kindness quotient? When was the last time you did something kind, something that was just needed in the moment for your family? You got a blanket, you cleaned off the table, you picked up a coffee cup. Think about your school and think about your workplace. Which person is the one that is the one that is most overlooked and avoided? Who's the shy student? Who's the grumpy coworker? Who sometimes struggle to speak good English? Someone who doesn't fit in, do you know that individual? You know what it's like to be that person? Do you know someone who doesn't share your morals? Are you kind to this person? How about at church? Do you understand that perhaps the neediest person you will meet all week is the one that you just passed through in the lobby? Or the person that is sitting on the row right behind you? And don't turn around and look at them. I know some of you thought, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they thought the same thing about you. Guys, your kindness quotient is revealed in your words and in your actions in the moment. When you let that car cut in front of you, and when you allow that person to get in front of you at the pickup line, when you let that mom with the three kids check out before you, when the grass needs cutting so you just go and you fire up the mower, a meal needs to be served so you turn on the stove or you, you pull up Grubhub, a conversation needs to be shared so 
You just take the time to walk and talk. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, Therefore, wherever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. The disciples witnessed a kind and joyful teacher who fully understood the human condition. And look, they learned that day that you can follow Jesus, help others, and still have a good time. You can do that. And I would argue that they learned that you can follow Jesus and be the life of the party. Now, I'm not taking some shallow, empty, life-numbing view of partying that our current culture has. No, Jesus, well, he, he was the source of true joy and happiness. He knew God to be the one who created it all, who made the wine, who made the food, who made the laughter, who made the song and dance for humans to enjoy and not to abuse. And I know you've heard it said before that You've heard it said that Christians must be serious and reserved and stoic. And that same person probably misquoted and misinterpreted the Apostle Paul and told you that when you become a Christian that you have to put away childish things. But that's not what Jesus demonstrated. Following Jesus means helping others enjoy what brings them joy. And maybe that means keeping the party going. Could it really be that simple? Well, if you want to find out, then let me encourage you to take Mary's word to heart. Do whatever he tells you. I'm just telling you what Jesus did. I've just shown you what Jesus' first followers saw. Why don't you just do whatever Jesus tells you? But guys, don't be surprised if you find yourself filling some ordinary jars with some ordinary water in order to keep the party going. Why don't you go look for an opportunity to bring kindness and joy to someone's life this week? Maybe you've received an invitation to a party. Maybe you've just received an invitation to show up to work. <laughs> Whatever it is, wherever it is that going to be, that you will find yourself. You go with the simple intention of being someone who follows in the footsteps of Jesus. And you look for an opportunity to do good. You look for an opportunity to be kind. You look for an opportunity to celebrate someone else that needs celebrating. You look for an opportunity to be like Jesus. I think it really is that simple. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the way that a story in the life of your son has been left recorded for us. And it's a story that we don't always know exactly what to do with because it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit what we have heard and been told in the past. It doesn't, it doesn't fit with the way that we perceive sometimes Jesus or the way that we think about Christianity and what it means to be religious. This is much more relational than it is religious, and we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do when we see Jesus having fun. We don't know what to do when we see him making sure that others are not embarrassed. We don't know what to do when we, when we watch him in a miraculous way Help others celebrate and find joy.
Well, God, is my prayer today that instead of us trying to figure it out, that we would just emulate our teacher. That we would take his yoke upon us. That we would learn from him. And that we would go and do likewise. That we would be kind and that we would be joyful. And that we would celebrate others. We wouldn't be so concerned about how maybe we're viewed in the moment. We wouldn't be so self-conscious. We would just be simple. Simple followers of a teacher with a useful, gentle teaching. Father, I pray that others will know that we follow your son, that they will see it in our actions. They will see that we do something different that other people don't normally do, and that they will ask us. May we be quick to speak his name. May we be quick to point others in the direction of your saving grace. And Father, may everything that we do, in word or in deed, be done for your honor and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, our teacher. Amen. So we're going to sing together. And while we're singing, I just want you to think about, I just want you to think about your relationship with God. I just want you to simply think about kind of how you approach God and relate to him. Are you one of these people who it's very hard to break out of that religious shell that has been handed down to you? Are you someone who finds it difficult to, to show kindness to others that, that maybe have, or maybe, maybe they didn't plan appropriately, or, or maybe they're in a predicament because of their own choices and choosing, you're like, well, that's just, that's what they get. There's consequences. Do you have a hard time being kind to that individual? Do you have a, a hard time slowing down in order to enjoy the things that are around you so that you can look for opportunities to, to be kind? Are you someone that is so focused on getting from point A to point B that there's very little joy in your life, there's very little time for celebration, you don't accept the invitations, you don't go out to lunch with anybody, you don't take time to grab coffee, you don't take time just to go to the movie, you don't take time just to go out to Riverbend and have a good time with friends because that's just not what you do. Can I ask you to consider a simple, more simple way a simple way of discipleship. Follow Jesus. Listen to what he says. Do what he says. I think you'll be surprised. I want to encourage you to come this morning, be baptized into Christ. Jesus told his disciples, we saw what happened at the very beginning of that ministry. At the very end, he said, I want you to go. And as you go, I want you to share my yoke. I want you to, to teach that yoke to others. And those who want to be my followers, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe you're just being introduced to the new yoke of Jesus, or maybe it's been something that you've been listening to for a long time, but you have never committed yourself to truly being his student. Maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning, believing that he truly is who he said that he was, the one and only living Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You can experience that today in very simple water, and we want to encourage you to do so.
Whatever your need might be, please come. Let it be known or go to the back to our prayer room. One of our elders will be back there if you'd like to have someone to pray with you. Do not make following Jesus more complicated than what Jesus made following Jesus. It's actually more simple. Let's stand and sing.